Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to The Wild Initiative Podcast Network. Learn more and check out all the shows at thewildinitiative.com. Listening to the Fish Untamed podcast, where we talk all things fishing, conservation, and the outdoors. Today on the show, I'm joined by Jen Ripple, editor in chief at Dunn Magazine. All right, welcome to episode number 19 of the Fish Untamed podcast. Today, I got a chance to talk to Jen Ripple, who is the editor-in-chief of Dunn Magazine, which is a women-focused fly fishing magazine. Uh, It's for women and by women, so uh, she says that, you know, 90-something percent of their authors are women, so it gives the magazine a bit of a different perspective than a lot of the other fly fishing magazines out there. We get into a couple different topics today, obviously, kind of how she got her start in the fly fishing world and how she launched her magazine. Uh, going from a digital-only magazine to a print magazine as well as digital now, and how featuring women has kind of allowed there to be a bit of a different voice in the fly fishing world. Um, As she mentions in the interview, uh, Dunn Magazine is by no means an anti-man magazine, but it does offer a bit of a different perspective. Uh, Most of the articles in it are not about women, but they're just written by women, so from a different perspective than what you'd normally read. Uh, We also get into a little bit about social media and how that's kind of progressed over the past couple years, um, both in a positive and negative way. So it was just a really fun and casual conversation. Uh, So without further ado, here is my chat with Jen Ripple. Well, I usually just start with uh, a little bit about your fishing background. I know that we're mostly talking about the magazine today, but I always like to hear, you know, how people got their start. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so my fishing background is I started actually, it was a really, really cold winter in Ann Arbor, Michigan one year. And I was looking for something to do. I had just broken up with my boyfriend at the time. And, uh, you know, I'm not one to like do pottery or like crochet or anything like that. That's just not who I am. And so I looked online and there was a fly tying class and it was really cheap. It was like, 65 bucks or for eight classes or 85 bucks for six classes, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I decided to take a fly tying class. So I actually learned to tie flies before I learned to fish. That's, that's pretty interesting. Did, did, yeah, you have, like, did you have an outdoor background? Like, is that what drew you into wanting to tie flies versus and, like other crafts? Nope. I have a science background. Hang on. I'm going to shut off my computer. Okay. There, it's not going to be dinging now. <laughs> Yeah, no, I have a science background. I was working at the University of Michigan, actually, at that time. And uh, so I, you know, I grew up on a lake, a small lake in Wisconsin, but I did not fish at all. I like ice skated and snowmobiled, Um, didn't fish. And and I apologize if you're going to have to actually edit out me coughing. (laughs) No, we'll just leave it in. (laughs) Now that I'm going to talk some more, you know. Um, Yeah, people love to hear me cough in their ears. Um, so yeah, so my brother and sister were the, the anglers in the family. I was not. And so then I just, you know, this was something I didn't even know what it was. I knew that had something to do with fishing. And I knew that my grandfather was one of these executives that would fly into Canada every year and go fly fishing, but he was well dead before I even picked up a fly rod. So yeah. And then like, after I got into fly fishing, I found out that my grandmother on my mom's side was a really big angler, a really big fly angler in Vienna. Oh, really? Yeah, so that was really interesting. And in Russia, but uh, mostly in Vienna, where she went to school. So what what took you from fly tying to the actual, you know, act of fishing? Because I feel like that's a big hurdle to actually take a rod out on the water and start catching fish. Yeah, you know, I um I started hanging around the fly shop. And to me, I guess I, I felt like it was a natural progression. Well, I didn't know anything else, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, um, the Huron River, which is a bass river, runs right through the campus of the University of Michigan. And so I could see the river from where I worked. Okay. And so when the ice was off the river, I, it just seemed natural to me to buy a used fly rod and go teach myself to fish. So that's what I did. Like every day after work, I would just leave my job and go down to my car, throw my waders on, walk into the river and just spend hours and hours teaching myself to fish. Not very well, to be real honest, until I took a fly casting. <laughs> <laughs> so is that for, you started with bass then? Yeah, yeah, bass. In fact, it, it was like two uh, two years later before someone said to me, well, you can't catch bass with a fly rod. You're supposed to catch trout. And I was like, trout? What's trout? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't do this thing that you've been doing successfully, you know, for a while now. Yeah, yeah, right. And so I'm not, I'm to this day, I'm still not a big trout angler at all. In fact, um, I do the Rip and Hoppers Roadfish, uh, Redfish Roadie and the Rip and Hoppers Adventure where we, uh, Heather Hodson from United Women and I, United Women on the Fly and I, we go like cross country on um, uh, this road trip fishing and like connecting women and everything. And um, she's a big trout angler. You know, she lives in Spokane, Washington, and she fishes for trout like predominantly and steelhead. And and I'm like bass and saltwater and, you know, gar and uh, muskie and all that kind of stuff. And so she calls me the (laughs) (laughs) anti-trouter. I can see that. I I grew up with uh, like with the same species that you you're talking about, not on a fly rod, but on a spin rod. But I could see how um, you know trout trout can seem a little bit boring if you've if you've grown up 
exactly. you know, learned catching some of the more, maybe ex- more exciting species. Right, exactly. To me, it's like you, you fish for trout and you catch them and, you know, they're pretty and they're like the brook trout are so soft. I want to like pet them and take them home in my pocket and that kind of stuff. But, you know, they're cute. But to me, I want something that's going to fight me back because I guess that's what I'm used to. I, I can kind of see that. You, you feel like you're kind of matched to, you know, a fair match against a bass that you, know, you can feel the muscle rippling when you pick it up. And, you know, it's not, it's not a delicate fish like a trout. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, those trout, first time, it's like, you know, the whole, I did not have a trout set. I never have to worry about a trout set on a big fish because I was like, woo, there it goes, right? <laughs> I've seen my fair share of trout thrown over people's shoulders when they, yeah. uh, they're used to setting the hook on bass and they, they hook like a five inch trout and just rip it right out of the water. Yeah, exactly. So were you, uh, when you're, when you're fishing for bass at the start, was it maybe a little bit easier, do you think, to learn just because I feel like a lot of people, um, for example, like I grew up with a spin rod, you know, fishing for bass. So when I switched over to fly fishing for trout, cause I kind of made that switch at the same time. Like I switched to fly fishing and switched to trout in the same motion. Oh, interesting. Um, so it was like it's it was a completely different, um, you know, method of fishing, but also dealing with a different yeah, a fish. Like, you know, the technique is completely different. I'm no longer, you know, pulling a lure through the water. I'm now dead drifting a, a fly I can barely see. Um, but I feel like, you know, streamer fishing is a lot closer to, you know, what a lot of people grew up with with a spin rod. Do you think that that kind of came more naturally to you because it's kind of more obvious, you know, throw something big out, pull it back toward you. A fish is going to see it and want to eat it versus it's kind of counterintuitive to think that you're going to land, you know, this tiny fly that you can barely see. It can't move, you know, against the current at all, or it's not going to, it's not going to be taken by a fish. Like, do you think that that made it a little bit easier? Um, yeah, you know, that's a really, really interesting question. No one's ever asked me that before. So thank you for a new question. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, it might have been. I grew up on a, a lake in Wisconsin, so for me, I didn't even really, there was no trout around anywhere. I was not familiar with trout at all. Um, so bass just seemed normal to me. And, you know, I, I grew up diving, scuba diving. My dad owns a scuba diving channel. Oh, awesome. Service. So I guess I've al- always known where the fish live because I've seen it from the mm-hmm. bottom, right? I mean, that was, so it was always intuitive to me. I don't know, maybe. Um it probably was easier because bass are so aggressive, you know, so yeah. anything. So um, being able to hook them and catch them, uh, I was successful at that early on. So, yeah, you're probably right. Do you do any – I just want to dive into this real quick, uh, no pun intended, but do you do, you do a lot of uh, freshwater diving or are you saltwater only? Um, no. So my dad lives um, – I grew up in Wisconsin on Lake Michigan, and so – we dive the shipwrecks of the Great Lakes, so it's predominantly all freshwater. Okay, that's – yeah. that's really cool I've, only, I've done a hand a handful of freshwater dives and there's usually way less to see but I really enjoy it because it's like things I'm familiar with you know I'm like oh I can see this you know these species that I know and like how they how they act underwater and I never get to see that um, yeah whereas in the saltwater it's like there's way more to see but it's like I can't I don't know the names of any of these things I'm seeing so it's just oh, there's so many too I mean right. how could you possibly know right <laughs> it's like just going to a, like an art museum that you're like I this is all pretty but I don't I don't understand any of it um, so yeah, I, I've, I'm really interested in maybe doing some more freshwater diving just because, you know, you feel at home. You're like, this is, this is what I've always grown up knowing, but only from the surface. So that's, that's really cool. Exactly. Plus you don't have to clean out all your gear very well. Right? <laughs> yeah. you know, you're like, you know, I mean, there's something to be said about diving in saltwater where there are actually fish that, you know, can kill you. <laughs> right. It's not as creepy though. You can see them coming from a lot longer away. 
That's I've, true. That's true. There's like much more anticipation when that shark is <laughs> coming to get you. <laughs> yeah, I've had I've had a bluegill show up. You know, I couldn't see it until it was two feet away from me. Now it's nibbling on my ear. Or something. It's a little more eerie than having a like a large fish swim past it. You know, twenty feet. You can see yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, you know, interestingly, um, since I was uh, a kid diving in Lake Michigan, the zebra mussels have taken over. Oh, really? It is so clear now. It is seriously like uh, diving in the Bahamas or something because really, two hundred feet. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> so, unfortunately, if- unfortunately, you know, it's good for the divers. I mean, I love it that you can sit on the surface and see a a wreck that's in two hundred feet of water, but at the same time, you know, um, knowing that that's an invasive species mm-hmm. is is quite the issue. Yeah, I think that's the the thing about a lot of really clear water is. Um, sometimes the murkier water is what's what's a more intact ecosystem, even though the clear water looks like it's you know clean and healthy and perfect. Agreed. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, when I was a kid in Lake Michigan, it was like field diving. You had like one foot of visibility. You were like, <laughs> like trying to feel your way Helen Keller style, right? <laughs> right. I did. I uh, just one last tangent. I, I took my rescue certification uh, in a, in a reservoir that had very little visibility. And so they had to do the missing diver where they put someone on the bottom, you have to find them. And I was, <laughs> I was just like, I really wish I had the, you know, the people in the salt water get to, you know, they can look from far away and see where the missing diver is. I'm like feeling around on the, in the mud, just hoping I run into somebody. Exactly. Was, <laughs> so get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, so how did you transition from that into the magazine? Ah, so, um, you know, it was a really good career choice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, actually, um, I, when I moved from Ann Arbor back to Chicago, um, I was going to this fly tying class that was right, like literally blocks from where I lived. And the guy who was leading the fly tying class, he had just started a, a Midwest fly fishing magazine. It was all online. It was called the Tight Loop Magazine. And so he, at the time I was writing a blog, it wasn't a fishing blog, it was completely a different type of blog. And uh, so he knew about the blog. And so he asked if I would be interested in writing a woman's column for his Midwest Fly Fishing Magazine. And, you know, I was relatively new to the sport. Maybe I'd only been in it maybe two years, three years or so at that time. But I was super excited about it. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, I can, I can write. So I may as well write in a, you know, a column. How hard could it be? So I wrote a woman's column, but it was really like a... Um, a double entendre kind of column. So it was, you know, very quirky and very um, tongue and cheeky. And so I started looking around after a couple of years of doing that, I started looking around for a woman's magazine to write for. And uh, it took me like a day, but I realized there wasn't one. And I was really surprised by that. And I, I guess now looking back, I shouldn't have been so surprised by it, um, given all that I know about fly fishing now. But um, I was really surprised and I thought, well, if I'm missing it, I think that other people are probably missing it too. And so that was in June of 2013. And by September, we had our first magazine. So were you were you bothered by kind of the tongue in cheek aspect of the women's column kind of feeling like it wasn't being taken as seriously? Or at that time, was it still just kind of like fun and quirky? And because, you know, the, the whole um, shift into you know, bringing just as many women in the water as men, like since that hadn't maybe hit yet, was it just, you know, it didn't really bother you? Uh, You know, I guess I'm from a different era, right? So I'm 52 years old. And so for me, uh, I just kind of took, you know, I had had a number of businesses in the Chicagoland area and they were all, um, so I was a woman business owner very early on from the time I was 21 um, in a very male dominated 
you know, back in the day, women didn't start businesses and they certainly didn't start businesses from their home because there was no internet, there was no computer, there was none mm-hmm. of that, right? And so, um, so I've always kind of felt like I had to forge my own way. And so, you know, taking it kind of t- tongue in cheek and being like a very double entendre kind of thing was just kind of the, what I had grown out of. I had worked at a couple of hospitals and they, all of my bosses were men and the culture was completely different. It was a culture that didn't really respect women the way that they do now. So, um, you know, and that's encouraging for me having daughters and now granddaughter, right? That uh, this, the, the whole culture has changed. But specifically in fly fishing, fly fishing has lagged behind, obviously. It's starting to catch up now. And, and uh, so I guess it didn't really bother me. And I guess that I, you know, the way that I wrote was the way that I wrote because I knew that that's what they expected of a woman's column. Mm, it was just kind of par for the course at that time yeah yeah it it didn't bother me did I did I like it all the time no but am I a really good double entendre writer I am you know so if anybody um didn't give me the benefit of the doubt in my writing it was me because I was the one that was writing it right so um but but we've come a long way baby so (laughs) you know um things have changed and going back now it would I would find that that would be it would be the same as maybe the page six chicks were and used to be in the Drake magazine, right? Where it was just women in, you know, a swimsuit or whatever. And we wouldn't portray that now anymore in fly fishing, which is yeah, I don't, a, a step in the right direction. Yeah, I don't think that would fly these days. No, but I, I will say that in my first magazine, um, the first digital magazine that I had, I had Hank Patterson write an article and it was a it was a spoof article. And I had him write it on purpose. And it was how to take how to have the perfect date on the river, written by a guy, right? <laughs> in true Hank fashion. He uh, wrote like, bring his favorite sandwich and give him, open up his beer for him. And, you know, and then the whole thing. So it was really kind of funny setting the stage. And then the last part was, and now that he's passed out on the side of the river, you can really get in some good fishing, right? <laughs> and, uh, it was funny because our first magazine came out and this woman blasted it on email. I mean, on Facebook, like it hadn't even been out maybe an hour. And she was like, this is why women will never be taken serious in this sport and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, uh, you know, that's a spoof, right? And she was like, well, (laughs) (laughs) so it was really kind of funny. She was like, and then I never heard from her again, you know, but I was like, come on as much as this is, um, an issue that we have to be aware of, we still have to kind of take it in stride. Right. I mean, sometimes I think that, you know, the, the pendulum has, has gone so far to the other side now that, we're offended by everything. Yeah. And that's no good for anybody either. You know, I mean, it's supposed to be fun. I always say fly fishing is fishing and fishing is supposed to be fun. So come on already guys. I mean, today on my Facebook page, um, I posted something about a guide school and people have been up in arms all day long. And I'm thinking they're just fighting like crazy among each other. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, please don't you have anything better to do? You know, I, looked at it this morning and then I looked at it tonight and I was like, holy cow, it's been going on all day long by the same people. Don't you have something else to do with your life other than get online and fight about something? That's ridiculous. This is fishing. This isn't something that's, you know, going to like solve the world's climate problems, right? (laughs) Right. And there there comes a point where, uh, you know, I I don't want to make it sound like, you know, women haven't faced a lot of obstacles within the fly fishing world, but there comes a point where, you know, just being angry for the sake of being angry isn't doing anything. Yes. Um, and especially, exactly. I, you know, I we've come so far and not that we're necessarily right where we want to be, but um, just being angry for the sake of being angry just gets tiring. 
It does. Like, and, that energy. I don't. Have a, have a little fun. Like, yeah. I, I feel like the spoof article is the one way that that can still kind of like the, the column that you used to write. The, the one way it can still survive in today's world, I feel like, is as a spoof article. You know, everyone's just kind of making fun of the fact that that used to be a serious thing. Um, and we can all kind of Great. gather around the fact that it's kind of funny to look back on now. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, and, and, and it's a great it's a great barometer of where we were and where we've come. Right. So it's it's easy to get. Um, I, I find a lot of women and men get bogged down in, you know, their own high horse and, and they're stuck in their ways. And and so they don't see the actual progress that's happened. And so um, it's good to look back and be able to say, wow, that's where we were. And look, it's only been like maybe eight years, 10 years. And look at the change in the landscape of fly fishing. It's so completely different now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a good thing. So at this point, it's a, dig- a digital magazine? Um, yeah, it started out digital. Okay. And at what point did you, you, you've switched to both digital and print now, correct? Yes. Yeah, so we were, we've always kind of been digital and print. Uh, the beginning magazine was a page turning magazine that you could go online and you could actually, it looked like a magazine. You could turn oh, it. Okay. And uh, we wrote all that code here in, in house. Um, so that was our own proprietary software. And so, um, but when we went to a print magazine, uh, our studies and our statistics showed that a, a long format blog did a lot better in SEO. It got our content out there further into our audiences. And so, um, <coughs> so when our, um, our print magazine came out, which was like three years in or so, um, we switched to long format blog and we took away the digital magazine for the first year it, we did a digital magazine and the print magazine and they were both completely separate, but people got so confused over what was done digital and what was done print. And I was confused and, and it was a lot more work. And so I was just like, you know what, we're just going to do the print magazine. That's enough work the way it is. Mm-hmm. We're just going to go with that. And we're just going to call it good. So were they, I know you said they were completely separate. Do you just mean that, you know, you could be subscribed to one and not the other? Or was that a completely different content? Like if I opened up the digital magazine, page one would be different from page one of the print magazine. Completely different. Yeah, it huh. was a completely okay. different magazine with different articles and different titles and different uh, covers and everything. Everything was completely different. So the people that subscribed to our free magazine saw one content and then people that bought the print magazine subscription saw something completely different. So what was that transition like going, or I, not the transition, I guess, but diving into the print space, what, what was that like? What, how many hurdles did you have to overcome to get, to get into print? Cause I feel like anyone can, can go online and start something digital. And obviously you said that it was actually, you know, the magazine form, which has got to be a little bit more complicated than just starting a blog. But, um, I feel like it's, you know, I wouldn't know where to start if I wanted to start a print magazine. Yeah, it was uh, a huge learning curve for me. In fact, it was so overwhelming that my managing editor, I said to her, I don't know how to do this. I don't even know where to start. And she said, well, eat an elephant one bite at a time. And I said, who eats an elephant? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it really was like that. You know, you just have to start stepping through it and you have to have it as a goal. So my goal was to have this beautiful print magazine. That was a goal of mine. And when you have your heart set on something and you're so focused on it, it's just going to happen because that's all you're obsessed about. That's all you think about. You're Mm -hmm. you're working towards that. Whereas if it's just kind of like an idea out in the ether somewhere, uh, you're probably never going to make it happen. So, you know, come hell or high water, I was going to have this print magazine out. By that time, people had already been asking all the time, like, 
where can we buy your magazine? You know, um, how can I get a subscription to your print magazine? And I'd be like, well, we don't have a print magazine. And they'd be like, when, when are you coming out with one? So it was really a smart, um, lucky business plan that we had the digital first because we were never going to be a print magazine. And then just as we already had the audience, which was easy to get because it was all online, um, then we just got to the point where we had the audience already. So when the print magazine came out, we already had an audience to buy it as opposed to trying to come out with a magazine that's brand new and it's so expensive to print and then trying to find people to buy it. We already had that in place, which was really, really helpful for us. So is that kind of necessary when you're, because I assume with the print magazine, you need to go around to fly shops and kind of convince them that they should carry your magazine. Does having that following kind of work in your favor in, in terms of convincing people to carry your print magazine? Yeah, it was super easy because people already knew about us. So okay. um, we never really went to uh, fly shops to ask them to cover okay. it, you know, to carry it. They kind of have come to us. Um, it took the the distributors for Barnes and Nobles one day to decide that they wanted to to sell our magazine, which was really, really neat. And then Orvis has always been a good partner of ours. And so when we came out with the print magazine, they were they jumped on board and carried it at their stores right away. And you have a like a good quality print magazine. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I don't know what the technical difference is between like a a good magazine and a like a lower quality magazine are, but you can you can just see it, you know, when you when you pick it up. Um, and I've noticed a more of a trend in that direction now. There's a there's a lot more people that are trying to uh, release magazines that are more more like a coffee table book, like something you want to have sitting out, and your guests might come over and and flip through it. Yeah, like a bookazine kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I think that all the trends in magazines that I've read about say that the only way that a magazine is going to actually survive is if it's a niche market, a very high-end kind of magazine. And I didn't know that when I came out with this magazine. I knew nothing about printing, knew nothing about papers, knew nothing about covers and, you know, the weight of paper and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I just kind of made the magazine that I would have wanted to read. And I think that was a good thing for me because if I would have had like a, a publishing background or a magazine background, then I would have probably made a more economical magazine that would have been more of like your turn and burn kind of magazine, the one that uh -huh. comes out, you know, and it's not as much work and it's not as expensive. Um, but it went to Ben as pretty and it went to Ben, you know, uh, recycled papers and it went to Ben vegetable inks and it, it wouldn't have such a large format. You know, I, I had no idea. It was going to cost so much to ship a magazine <laughs> pounds, right? <laughs> All things that you learn, um, you know, afterwards. So, but it, it's been a learning experience. The problem is that once you make a magazine like that, you can't just be like, oh, well, I'm just going to change it to a smaller magazine that's going to cost less. People are like, no, 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 no. We like your magazine. Yeah, we're, we're attached to it. There's yeah, just something yeah. different between a magazine like that. Like, I, I would not feel comfortable having a magazine like that in my house and just flipping through it you know I, I kind of feel like I have to actually read through each article whereas you know we've we've subscribed to a couple of magazines over the year that just to get like keep our airplane or our uh, airline points valid uh -huh. still or something like that and it's like some of those you know you might open up and flip through see if anything catches your attention and, and then maybe it just becomes you know kindling on the next campaign trip or something but right. there's a difference between that and the and the kind of magazines that are coming out now um that you you really do feel like you should you know treat it like a book and, and read it from cover to cover yeah and you know and two that was one of the reasons that i made it so big and pretty too is because it's a lot of work each edition is a lot of work and so 
I didn't want a magazine that people were going to just, you know, page through and then toss away. It's too much work for that. So I did want it to sit around and be something that people would actually um, would keep. And mm-hmm. it's funny. There's one woman. Um, she actually built a bookshelf in her living room just to house our magazines. <laughs> well, that's a nice compliment. <laughs> I know, right? So surprising, but so nice. <laughs> Um, and so it's something we haven't mentioned that I, I'm sure most people are probably familiar with that magazine, but it's it's a women's magazine, um, which you probably should have mentioned. But uh, do you want to just talk about that for a little bit? And, uh, right. you know, your philosophy that it's not, you know, an anti-men magazine or anything like that, but it, it is definitely for women and by women. Right. So it is um, it is definitely a fly fishing magazine first. And a lot of our readers are men um, for a good reason, because we tell a good story and it, fishing is fishing. It's not, you know, shouldn't be gender neutral. Uh, should- it should be gender neutral. Um, but that being said, all of our authors or 99% of our authors are female. So, and all of the women that are on, uh, everybody that is an editor of our magazine is also female. So um, it is by women for women, but our tagline is empowering women, not ignoring men, because we love the male angler. Obviously we um, respect the male angler. A lot of I would say the vast majority of women get involved in the sport, get involved in the sport by some male counterpart that has brought them there. Mm-hmm. So the very vocal minority of men who, you know, say things like we don't want women on the river or, you know, what happens at the fishing lodge stays at the fishing lodge. Um, that's a very small, small percentage of the men in fly fishing. The vast majority of men in fly fishing want more women in the sport. They recognize that growth is good mm-hmm. and, um, and they take, their, you know, female counterparts out fishing, which we really respect. So who makes up the uh, small minority of, of your male contributors? Uh, what what uh, s- separates those articles that makes them, um, I guess, accepted by the magazine versus just any Joe Schmo submitting an article? Sure. Um, well, let me tell you. So Hank Patterson, I reached out to him and he wrote one, right? And it mm-hmm. was a spoof article because we wanted it to be funny. And uh, so he was one of our male authors. Um, there have been... There has been one man who wrote a uh, poetry article, which was beautiful, and um, we put that in there. There's a man who, in an upcoming article, an upcoming edition is coming out, he wrote uh, a, a tribute to his wife who died, and she, you know, the, the river was their place, and it's beautifully written, and so we're going to, and it has beautiful photos, and so we're going to include that. Um, I will tell you, we have had some guys submit articles to us that's like, let me tell you how to take a woman fishing and those are not articles that we would ever publish <laughs> because they're terrible <laughs> so so basically you'll you'll you accept the ones that are basically just in line with everything else that you're already doing and if they just fit seamlessly in then then you'll include them exactly yep we will um i would say that it, it has to be a spectacular article men have a lot of outlets that they can always already write to uh women have less that's why we exist fair enough and what what uh, feedback have you gotten on it, both from men and women? Oh, uh, you know, I would have to say that there have only, over the, the eight years that we've been around, there have only been maybe three people who have written to us and said negative things about it. Um, they have all used, uh, and we've made them so mad that they've actually created fake email addresses just so they could send it. <laughs> Cowards. Um you know, I would say overwhelmingly the audience loves our magazine, you know, because we don't bash men. We're not out there going like, rah, rah, women. We only want women. That's not what we're about. 
we are just a beautiful magazine that happens to be female authors telling the everyday angler story. And I think that that's one of the different things that we do that the vast majority of magazines do not do as well is we tell the everyday angler story. So we don't have the regurgitated articles that you will see in a lot of magazines out there and not just fly fishing, but in magazines in general where uh, your professional the professional writers are just rewriting the same content in a different way and sticking it in another magazine. You're not going to read that. Our stories are very, very relational because they're written by everyday women um, who have a story to tell and everybody's story is different. And so, and everybody's story is relational and everybody can relate to that. So um, that's what we do. That's what our specialty is. And I, I'm, I'm sure that there are probably some people out there too, who maybe have the misconception that, that means that every article is about, you know, like what it's like to be a woman who fishes. And I, I could see how that sounds really boring, but um, contrary to popular belief, you know, you could be a woman and just write about fly fishing and it, you know, you could potentially not even know, you know, that it, that it is a female author. You know, it's, yes. it's just the same thing that you'd read anywhere else, but happens to be from a woman's perspective, not necessarily about being a woman. Right. And it's, and it's interesting that you say that, that in that way, because, um, you know, when our magazine came out, I got an email from a man and he sent me an email and he said, hey, um, in fact, he just reminded me of this and it was years ago. He said, um, hey, someone forwarded me your your magazine and I just want to say how much I love it. And, you know, it has just a different kind of feel. The stories have a very relational, very different kind of feel. Why is that? And I, I wrote back to him and I said, well, did you notice that all of the authors are female? And he said, no, I didn't notice that, but that makes sense now, you know? <laughs> Women and men, we fish for different reasons a lot of times. And we're just, you know, as much as we like to say that we're the same, we're still different, you know. Mm -hmm. And so um, we come at things differently. And so my authors tend to be very gracious and very um, kind and, and more relational in their in their stories, whereas a lot of um, some of the other magazines would be more um, technical and be more, um, you know, matter of fact kind of thing. Whereas we tell a, a story in a different way. We're much more... Um, uh, emotionally involved and we're much more um, uh, we tell a lot more of the different types of, of things that are going on when we're out there and we fish for different reasons a lot of times you know um, our stories have a lot of um, you know a woman who will take her child out fishing and what the day was like and with pictures of like the food that they ate and the river and it's not just your gripping grins you know that you'll see in a lot of the other magazines so I, I think that gives us a, a different kind of feel as well yeah, I think that's becoming uh, more popular now, too, just in general. I think uh, overall people are, you know, you, you can only read so many stories about how many fish you caught before it starts to get a little boring. Like, if I wasn't there, it's going to, you're going to have to write something really interesting for me to care, you know, how long the fish was. And I've noticed that just, you know, talking to my friends, uh, you know, I've, I did an episode not too long ago about, you know, some of my favorite fishing memories with one of my friends. And a lot of our stories ended with like, oh, yeah, and we caught some fish and like moved on to the next story. It was like that that just did not even factor into a lot of what we were talking about, because, you know, we spent 20 minutes talking about the hike in and then forgot to mention that we caught fish once we got there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because the fish, I think for women, a lot of times the fish is just a it's a byproduct of an actual day outside on a beautiful river with our friends. Right. And. So, you know, and that exactly is the essence of the difference in our magazine and other magazines. Well, I think it shows, too, in that the uh, the, the man you were talking about there who emailed you and was like, this is really refreshing. I like this, um, that it, it could easily be uh, enjoyed by, 
you know, both women and men. Um, I don't want to read something from a woman just for the sake of having read something by a woman. But I think for the most part, historically, uh, the majority of fly fishing writing has been by men. So I could see men even being like, hey, this just sounds different. I'm just ready for something new. Like it doesn't doesn't even matter to me that it's by a woman or by a man, but just I've read the same story a thousand times and this one's just different. So I, I want to read this now. Right, exactly. And we have a lot of men who write into us and say how much they like the magazine. And we have a lot of women who write into us and say, I can never get to my to my magazine. It comes in the mail and my husband steals it <laughs> first, you know. And I like to hear things like that. Because after all, it's a fishing magazine. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, you know, reading our magazine at all. Right. And and I know you said that, you know, a lot of women like to focus on things like maybe fishing with their children. But it's like, you know, men, men obviously enjoy that, too. I mean, so many men love taking both their sons and daughters out fishing. So it might not be something that a lot of men think to write about, but still, you know, enjoy reading about because they can relate to it for sure. Yeah. And that was when a man who wrote I had a, a husband and wife who wrote an article for us. And it was just about that. It was about taking their child out fishing. And it was written by both of them. And um, we just posted his photo not long ago on our Instagram page, and it had huge, um, huge following and interaction because it was a dad in his waders with his little baby on his chest with a bottle in her mouth, you know, and <laughs> there he was just standing out there kind of holding the baby, feeding the baby on the side of the river in his waders, you know. That's cool. We like that. You know, <laughs> the men out there are great men in this sport. Uh, so do you get your photographs strictly from women too, or, um, is that kind of all across the board? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, um, submitting photos to us at all. Uh, we normally though ask that the author who writes the story send in their own photos because it makes a much more cohesive story. Um, and a lot of times because a woman is writing the story, her husband or her boyfriend will have taken the photos. So a lot of times we have male photographers in our magazine. In fact, my staff photographer is actually a male okay mm-hmm. how how uh does the print magazine kind of because i know you said the the digital magazine has since turned into just a blog um how does that compare to the actual print magazine in terms of the type of content that comes out yeah so uh the the online blog format it does have some of our articles in there in a long format so some of the photos out of the magazine and then the words out of the magazine but our online content, for the most part, is a lot of blog stuff like um, why I would choose to go to guide school even though I never want to, or why I would consider going to guide school even though I never want to be a guide, or five things to wear under your waders, or that kind of stuff is what our blog format, for the most, is, our content that we just push out onto social media and put up on our site. Um, and then we, as a magazine comes out, we filter out a couple of the big major articles. We put those up on our site as well. Okay, so the blog is a little bit more short form, um, maybe like some tips and tactics, little blurbs here and there about different things. And the magazine is more of a long form, probably more thought provoking, um, experience driven stories, I assume. Absolutely. Yep. That's exactly. okay. And how often does the magazine come out? Uh, it comes out quarterly. So four times a year. Okay. And that, has that been the case since you first launched it? Uh, our first year was two times a year. Okay. And so. you've, you've ramped it up to four. Yep. I mean, it's not, it doesn't always come out when it's supposed to because <laughs> of things and because of other things happening, but we try to get it out four times a year. You get four magazines in your subscription is what I should say. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they may come out uh, very close together or very far apart. <laughs> yeah, they come out, you know, and not exactly always in June when they're supposed to. <laughs> I'm still new at this. <laughs> do you have a lot of regular contributors or are you, uh, do you have people just kind of filtering in, sending you stuff? Like how, how does that all work? 
Um, sure. So we have some women who write for us all the time. Okay. Um, I have one woman on staff who's one of my editors. She writes uh, almost every in every edition. She writes an article. Uh, my managing editor, she usually writes an article as well. Um, <laughs> in the last couple editions, I've written an article just because I've been somewhere that's been really cool that I really liked and wanted to write about. Um, but for the most part, we have new people that write to us all the time. And in the beginning, I used to reach out and ask people to, hey, would you write an article for us? Hey, I, I like what you're doing. Would you consider writing an article? But now we just have people that submit articles to us all the time. And and I love that. You know, if you have a story, put it down on paper and send it in, you know, or set, put it in an email, put it in a Word document, send it in to us. I want to read it. Um, if it's if it's a great story, we want to publish it for you. That's awesome. It, it seems like you've really grown pretty quickly. Um, I know we were talking earlier about just how things have changed, but um, I don't, I, I didn't want to get into just the stereotypical, like, you know, how has being a woman changed in the, in the industry over the years? But to be fair, you are a, a women focused magazine. So I do feel like that is kind of a relevant topic of, of how far we've come. Um, but you said you started like eight years ago and it seems like that that's a pretty short window to yeah. have made as much progress as it seems like you have. Yeah, I'm, I guess it's been seven years now. Um, yeah, you know, I'd like to say that um, that was part of my business plan, but I just got really lucky in that I was missing something at about the same time everybody else was. And mm -hmm. maybe the magazines helped stir that and give women a platform to actually be able to write their stories. And, you know, at about the same time, social media was becoming a really big thing. And so, you know, I think it was a whole culmination of things that have propelled women forward. Women have always been in this sport. Fly fishing is what it is today because of the women that have done great things along the way to get us where we are. Um, but I think in today's day and age now with social media, women see a lot more women out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially with Dunn, um, I think that we've broken down the the barrier that people thought that it was too expensive or that it was too hard or it was too time consuming. And, you know, um, that you needed to be like a professional before you went out there. You needed to take all these classes. And I think now people look at it more like yoga. Like, I think I'm going to dip my toe in there and try it and see if I like it. And it looks like it might be easier than I thought it was in the past because look at all these everyday women that are just doing it out there and having fun. And so maybe this is something I can get involved into. And I think that that's been the major reason why it's grown exponentially. You know, like five years ago, six years ago, there was no – uh, Athena and Artemis Women's Fly Shop. There was no Fishy Wear, right? There was no um, United Women on the Fly. There was no Dunn Magazine. And look at all these these businesses that have come up, you know, just in the last five or six years that are all women-owned businesses and catering to the women's market. Do you think uh, social media has been a net positive for the industry as a whole or specifically women in the uh, industry? Yeah, I guess that my opinion on that would change given the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you on that. Sometimes I'm like, this is so amazing. There's so many people empowering everybody. And then the next day, it's just a dumpster fire. <laughs> exactly. Right. And I think that's the nature of social media, right? Uh, especially in the winter when people aren't out fishing as much. I think that they tend to feel cooped up and they tend to be a little bit more like, oh, I just need to get out and I'm going to go online and look at fishing and, oh, that person said something I don't like and I'm just going to go land blasting because I'm mad anyways. And um, I think that it's been overall, I think it's been really good for women in the sport because we get to see a lot more women out there. You know, when I first started, uh, I heard that there was another woman that went to the fly shop, but I didn't see her for the first couple months that I 
even fished there. I, I didn't even know that other women existed. I thought we were new to the sport. And we're not new to the sport. We've been in it since the 15th century, right? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, um, it's just now that, you know, I think maybe during the Industrial Re- Revolution, women were always outside. They were always, pioneer women had to fish, they had to hunt, they had to do everything to keep their families alive, you know? It wasn't until I think the Industrial Revolution where we sent women back inside and they became these dainty little things that would faint and have the vapors and all this stuff because their course <laughs> was tight, right? So now I think that women are coming back into their own and, and uh, standing up and, you know, we were never kind of like, hey, look at me, I'm fishing. And now people are kind of like, hey, look at I can do this too. Women are like, I can do this too, you know, and here's a picture of my beautiful fish. And I think it's been good for us overall. Do I think that all of social media is good? No, obviously not. There's a lot out there that we could uh, complain about, but uh, that doesn't do anybody any good complaining about it. So let's just, you know, if you don't like what you see on social media, just unfollow them. Just don't like it. Just move on. You don't have to blast somebody. Um, I think that what what we need today in women's uh, social media and fly fishing is we need to support the women who are out there fighting the good fight every single day. That Those women need you to say something positive. The other women don't need you to say something negative. Yeah, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with, you know, people look for something to be outraged about. And I feel like that kind of that kind of branches off into this, too. You know, just searching for people to, you know, hate or, you know, say bad things about or whatever, whatever, whatever the reasoning may be. And and to be fair, some of those are probably justified, not in the way that it's handled a lot of the time. But, you know, I you know, I'm, of course, guilty of seeing things online that I'm like, I, I don't like this. I think it's you know, disingenuous or whatever, but, um, there's also, yeah, I, I, I see it and I'm able to just say, I just don't want to see that again, you know? Um, and I think that people have become a little bit more comfortable voicing their opinions, uh, which, which I think is what has caused all that, you know, negativity online is not that people weren't always thinking these, you know, negative thoughts about people that they didn't like, but now they have a, a way to voice that opinion to the entire world. Oh, and a way that they can voice it to the entire world and still, like, uh, be a coward sitting on the couch, right? And I think that's where part of the problem comes in in that, you know, it's easy to just get online and say some negative stuff. But I think it's harder to get online and always say something positive. But I think that that's what our industry needs, We, especially as the women industry. You know, we are positive people. This is a positive sport. We should remain in the positive space. Yeah. Did Did you do you listen to April Vokey's podcast? Yeah, I was just on April's podcast. I love oh, April. were you? Uh-huh. I probably heard you on there. I've I've lost track of where I've heard you at this point. <laughs> yeah, I was talking about Darcizzle and the whole bikini thing. That's actually what I was about to ask about is uh, if if you had listened to that interview and um, just I've there's a fine line I feel like between trying to get women into the sport and not portraying women as you know something to not take seriously. And I don't really know where that line is, but I feel mm-hmm. like it hovers somewhere around that interview. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I and so I said on April's podcast, because that's what we talked about. You know, I, first of all, I was outraged by that podcast. I thought that was the most disrespectful thing I had ever heard, you know, when he, her boyfriend was on there. I'm like, is this her boyfriend or is this her pimp? I'm not quite sure. But, uh, <laughs> you know, um, that being said, though, um, I, you know, for me, I don't care if you fish in a swimsuit. I don't care what you wear when you fish. I, I could care less. But if you're doing it just for the likes, then at least own that. At least say that that's what you're doing. Don't That'd be kind of refreshing, yeah. honestly, to just hear someone say, like, you know what? <laughs> I make my money from this, and this is the most lucrative way to do it. 
Yeah. Okay. There's no, there's no shame in that. We should not shame someone for that, right? For making money in whatever way they want. This is America. You should be able to do that. Would that be something that I would do? Probably not. But, you know, if someone else wants to do that, that's fine. What I have an issue with are these women who will go out there and wear like a bikini or do the fish bra thing just for the sake of likes and then, and, and then say, no, 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 that's not why I did it. Really? I'm pretty sure that's why you did it. <laughs> Yeah, I there was one of my one of my buddies had sent me a picture not long ago, um, kind of complaining about the same thing because it was someone who was saying like why why do people keep, um, you know, making bikinis sexual in you know in fly fishing pictures like if I want to wear a swimsuit when I fish like that's totally fine it's hot out and I totally agree with that but then if you scroll back two pictures she's got you know her butt sticking out a uh, picture from behind and like very clearly that's the objective and. Right. You know, it's just like you said, just own up to it at that right, point. Right, I don't think anybody's going to care if you're doing that. You just should, you know, you should just you should just own it. You know, and if someone's got a problem with you, at least you own it. It doesn't matter if they like you or not. Mm-hmm. Who cares, right? Yeah, but at the same time, you know, if it gets more people into it, then you know, if if that if that gets a couple more. Uh, I don't want to say, you know, normal, normal fishermen, but fishermen who just want to, who, who never thought they could get into uh, the sport and are now encouraged to do so, then, um, you know, all the power to them. Right. You know, that's what Jules McQueen said that to me once. She's a, she's a hunter. And she said, um, you know, people ask all the time about, you know, the, the girls in the sport that are just in it just for the likes and the Instagram and they want to be influencers. And she said, you know, time will tell. Time will weed out those who are legitimate and those who aren't. She said, and I've gotten to the point where, and I think this is so wise of her. She said, I've gotten to the point where I feel like if that girl, even if she's completely illegitimate, she doesn't, she's never hunted in her life, you know, or in our case, she's never caught her own fish in her whole life. If she gets one other woman involved in the sport, then I have to be completely behind her, you know? And I thought that was so wise of Jules to take that, that stand for that, because, you know, that makes some sense and it really kind of puts it in perspective, right? then you're not really concerned about how many likes they have. You're like, well, if she's getting more women involved in our sport, then go for it. You know, maybe she's not, but that's not something I have to worry about then. Right. Right. I just have to to be there. You know, and if I don't like what she's wearing or I don't like what she's portraying, I just don't like it. I just unfollow her. Big deal. You know? Yeah. I do have to remind myself of that too. Like when I see something like that and it bothers me, I'm like, but why do I care? Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like who, who is this person hurting? Right. I mean, at the most, yeah, themselves are, and if you could maybe even make the argument that they're giving women a bad name, but there are so many women out there who are, you know, very obviously completely legitimate at this point that um, I I would really be shocked to find out that a couple, you know, bad apples really tainted the the whole group of women out there um, for everybody else. Yeah. Like I, I don't think that's the case. Yeah. Do you really think that one woman or even 50 women who are in the sport for the wrong reason are going to give the rest of us who are legitimate a bad name? No. <laughs> I'd sure hope not. Yeah, but, exactly. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's it doesn't seem worth I mean, I, here we are talking about it, but um, at the end of the day, I don't think it's worth worrying about. Right. It, like, like you said, it, time will time will tell and um, things will things will eventually even out to where they're supposed to be, I'm sure. Yeah, I think so, too. Awesome. Well, do you want to just uh, finish up by maybe talking about uh, where Dunn Magazine is going um, and and the blog? Like, if you have any future plans or if you're just going to kind of stay on course? 
Yeah, so, uh, well, the plan is to stay on course and uh, put out uh, some really high-quality magazines, as always. Um, we have some really good stories that are coming up in our next edition. The next edition is hitting mailboxes now. So um, that's been, it's been always fun to see a magazine kind of come together. I never really, like, um, title a magazine. It just, and I never really, I shouldn't even tell anybody this, but I don't really sit down and say, like, okay, well, um, this is going to be the theme, and these are what all the mag- all the articles are going to be. It's it's amazing to me how the articles come in and they just kind of meld together, mm-hmm. you know, make a great magazine. Um, so we'll continue on with the magazine. Um, as far as where we're going, I think that 2020 is going to see some changes, but it's going to see some changes outside of fly fishing. So, um, as a company. Dunn is going to stay the course for fly fishing, but you might see some different offshoots into the outdoor arena. Uh, we also partner with Heather Hodson from United Women on the Fly and do that uh, the Rip and Hoppers Adventure Road Trip every year. This next year, we're going to start off, since it's uh, 2020, we're going to start off in Orvis's headquarters in Manchester, Vermont, since it's 50-50 by 2020. And uh, we haven't quite decided if we're going to go up or we're going to go down over there on the eastern uh eastern part of the united states but that's our goal um and then you know now it's it's show season so now it's time to get out there and speak and and uh get further our brand and network with a bunch of really cool women um and men i i love the mayfly project i look forward to you know networking with them in 2020 and and uh there was a man who was at the denver fly show who i was really um intrigued with he had a shirt on and it said um it's gonna get dirty or it's gonna get ugly but it's gonna get done and so I thought, well, you know what, that's going to, I said to the guy who was wearing the shirt, I said, oh my gosh, can I take a picture of that shirt? Cause I want to make that shirt. And he was telling me that it was his friend's shirt and his friend does these like crazy, like, I don't know, there's some kind of, I don't exercise at all. So, but there's some kind of Ironman out there. That's like a double marathon or a double Ironman or something. And this guy does that. He does these crazy physical challenges and then he donates and he raises money and he donates like to um, children that, need help or that are disabled or these really great causes. And so um, I sent him an email and I'm super excited to like somehow work with him to make that shirt so that it's a give back to the charities that he supports. So, you know, stuff like that. We'd like to do a lot more networking and a lot more um, conservation work and a lot more give backs in 2020. And I assume the, uh, the offshoots that you're talking about, those will also be women focused, just not, not uh, fully fly fishing. Correct. Yep. Awesome. And yeah. do you have any shows coming up that, uh, like, if people want to meet you, like, where where yes. they can find you, the upcoming shows? So the weekend of the 23rd of this month, January, we will be in Chicago. So come out. We are starting a women's, uh, a women's event there. Uh, so we have uh, Jerry from Athena and Artemis. We have Linda Leary from Fishy Rare. We have Heather Hodson from United Women on the Fly. And then I have a booth there. And so we will all be speaking. We'll be doing women's events. We'll have a breakfast and a social, kind of like what we do at the fly shows at a conventional uh, Chicagoland Fishing Travel and Outdoor Expo. And so I'm looking forward to that because I just moved from Chicago three years ago. So a lot of my friends are still there. And then after that, we'll go to Atlanta. Um, that's the, the end of this month. So like the 28th or 20, I guess maybe it's the 20. No, it's the 30 days of September. Um, the 31st and the 1st of this mm-hmm. month. February 1st, <coughs> we'll be in Atlanta at the fly fishing show. And um, those are the ones that we're doing so far. So we usually do Edison, but this year we're doing Chicago instead. 
I just realized at, once you started talking about the dates that this episode is going to air after those dates. <laughs> but but uh, maybe uh, some teasers for the following year because I'm sure you're not uh, done with shows <laughs> after That's this right. year. I'll be speaking throughout the <laughs> find all of our schedules and stuff. We'll be putting them up online shortly. Awesome. And where can people find you on social media or uh, or um, on the web to, su- to subscribe to the magazine? Sure. So Dunn, it's uh, like spelled like the Mayfly, D-U-N, DunnMagazine.com. And you can follow us on social media at Dunn Magazine, or you can follow me personally at Jen Ripple. So. Awesome. Well, uh, Jen, I really appreciate you coming on today and uh, just... Sorry I, like... I coughed in your ear. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the Denver Fly Show and I just have not gotten better since. That's okay. People will feel like you're they're right there with us when, oh, <laughs> when you're coughing in their ears. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening and uh, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Katie. It's nice to talk to you. All right, and that'll do it. As always, if you liked what you heard, go ahead and go over to the Wild Initiative podcast. You can subscribe there and get my shows bi-weekly on Thursdays, as well as all of Sam's other shows throughout the week. You can also find all my episodes on fishuntamed.com in addition to backcountry fly fishing articles. You can find me on social media under my name, Katie Burgert, on Go Wild or at fishuntamed on Instagram. And I will see you all back here in two weeks. All right. Bye, everybody. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.